You're listening to The Breakfast Show with Danuta and Lawson. It is 8.04 a.m. And welcome back to our show. And we actually have managed to get Michael on the phone from Creation Ministries International for our interview. So our Bible study time will actually continue on a little bit later. Um, right now, just over to Lawson. Yeah, we're going to have our next clue quiz question, and you can get in for the draw, which will be at 8.45 this morning. So here we go, guys. What did the dove bring back to Noah? Simply that, if you know the answer, 0491-064-669. If you know the answer, you'll go into the draw to win none other than the Revive Cafe Cookbook. We're giving away number eight absolutely for free. We're going to spin a wheel at 845. You have to have your name in the draw to be able to win. If you answer that question correctly, you'll get a chance in there. And the more questions you answer correctly, the more chances you get. Now, look, we're up to our penultimate question for oh, you like the week. Word, for you? the week, guys. So this is your second last opportunity. Surely you can get in. Hey, what did the dove bring back to Noah? 0491-064-669. But now, uh, you know, we shifted around a little bit due to some technical difficulties, but we have on the phone none other than Michael Cook from Creation Ministries International. Michael, are you there with us? I am indeed, yes. You're sounding loud and clear. Hopefully, you can hear me okay as well. Yeah, yeah, no, we yes, can hear you great. And as we understand, you're coming to us from from the land of Kiwis and sheep and all of those things. Oh, exactly. Yes, I'm based in Hamilton, which is about an hour and a half south of Auckland in the north centre of the North Island. So it's great to connect with our listeners and our friends in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And we have we have a few New Zealanders who text in whenever I give them a hard time and whatnot. So they'll be oh. loving the New Zealand representation here. But yeah, getting into this interview and particularly looking at the paradigm of creation versus evolution, is it a case of science versus faith or is it a case of alternate histories, how can we understand this particular debate? How can we understand what is happening in that space? That's a really good question. That's something I flagged up as something that we come across whenever we're having doing presentations in churches or public meetings, is that people have this idea that, you know, well, you've got your faith and you, you believe in your imaginary friend and your book of myths, and but we've got science. You know, evolution is science. We have our facts and you have your faith, you know. So it's this paradigm between believing in so-called solid facts versus um, some sort of indistinct um, faith that's just got no evidence behind it. Mm. But as we point out, we actually have all the same evidence. We have the same fossils, the same rock layers, the same stars. You know, the evidence, the facts we have is the same for everyone. Mm. It's what we believe about the history, the, how those things came about is the difference. That's where the, the uh, point of difference is. And we point out in our presentations that the Bible, the account of the Bible where it touches on geology or biology or um, uh, transforming, uh, transforming societies, etc., that the Bible's account of history makes so much more sense when we apply it to the world we can observe. Mm, absolutely. So I love this because a shift in this perspective and, and looking at this uh, this paradigm as a, yeah, a, it's a question about, okay, which, which scientific interpretation or which historical interpretation is correct. It goes a long way to actually, I guess, be able to frame this conversation regarding, you know, facts and science and whatnot in the right way like uh, this is this is the thing that i see that often it's framed incorrectly as as a, a conversation about faith but but now we can actually compare the science and we can actually observe the evidence in the right light and in the right perspective 
That's right, yes. We have, as we point out again, we have two basic kinds of science. We have what we call operational or experimental science, empirical science, where people are doing science every day in their labs and engineers are applying it, where you're looking at things, you're testing and you're repeating, you're having peers do work on it, you're doing measurements in real time. That's how science and engineering progress in the real world. If we have something, for example, like a fossil, we pick up an object in our hand, but we didn't see it being formed. We didn't see. We don't know when it happened and how it happened. We can't repeat that, mm-hmm. and so we have to apply uh, an interpretation based on what we believe about the history of the past, mm-hmm. about how that fossil came to be. You see, so we can't. So creation and evolution are both non-scientific from the point of view that you can't observe, repeat, or test something that happened in the past, you see, so that's the difference. Um, historical science is still very useful, but it's much weaker because you cannot you know, prove anything. You have to apply assumptions and interpretations to what you, you actually see. Sure. I have a question then, a follow-up question. If historical yep. science doesn't necessarily have a, a, you know, isn't necessarily super useful, why why is it so participated in? You know, And why from both sides? I, I guess I can understand the motivation from faith side that, oh, hey, we really want to be able to interpret history in this way because it supports what, you know, we we believe. And that's definitely what mm. I believe as a creationist. Uh, but from from the other side, if it's not necessarily useful, then why do it? Well, that's a really good point. And um, so obviously, I mean, the whole thing of historical science is used in, you know, police investigations of crime scenes or anywhere that there's something where you have evidence in the present and you need to come up with an account mm. of what happened. So it's still it's still valuable. But when it comes to as you rightfully point out, when it comes down to belief about the origins, that's where we actually bring a bias that often has a spiritual component to it. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the evidence from the flood, for example, we see everywhere, but people willfully will push back on that because if the flood was real, then that means the Bible's uh, credible, which means there's a God character. Mm. And many people, we push we push back, we don't want a God in, you know, in our life, so to speak. So mm. we often will go down a track because we don't want to deal with the spiritual implications of that, despite the evidence often. That's a really interesting point that you've made there, Michael, really about the fact that, you know, the pushback is, is, is more so about people not wanting to have God in their life. Um, you know, rather if the, the evidence is there, but they don't want to actually then go to deeper into that spiritual side, which is, um, I guess that aspect of faith having to come in then if, if people do choose to go down that track, but they don't, don't want to explore it. That's right, and it's, it's, it's a really um, fantastic uh, series of testimonies on our website. Actually, one, I think, when was posted yesterday. If people go to creation.com, you'll see on the front page there, there's mm. an interview with one of our PhD um, scientists on staff in Brisbane, uh, Dr. Ron Neller. He's a fluvio-geomorphologist, in other words, a guy who studies rock, uh, landforms based mm. from flowing water. And his testimony about coming to an understanding that there was a huge flood in the past, even before he became a Christian, and it wasn't until he actually came to faith that he saw all the evidence I've seen in, in my science make sense based on the flood. Wow. And so it's a fantastic testimony. I encourage your listeners to go to creation.com and look for the Flood Chaser interview with Dr. Ron Neller. It's a perfect example of how your interpretation is biased by what you believe about the past. Mm. I'd love to ask in regards to this. I had a conversation one time with a friend of mine who is pretty devout towards atheism and, you know, toward like, and very much brought up this, oh, you have your faith. Yeah. You know, I have my science. And we had conversations surrounding this, like, oh, no, it's not, that's not the case. We also believe in science. It's based on interpretation. Uh, But I, I made the point to him, oh, hey, you know, 
a big motivation for scientists to not um, concede to a biblical interpretation of the past, despite the evidence pointing that way, is because they don't want to admit that God is real and not have him in their life. And he was like, no way scientists would do that. No, there, there's too much integrity in the scientific field for scientists to, to, to do something like that. You know, they, they follow the facts to, to where it really is. And I guess my question is, as someone working in the scientific field, do you, do you come across that often? Is, is there, do you, is it clear to you that, oh, hey, there is this pushback that is coming from, you know, I guess a biased perspective rather than, than actual reason to disbelieve the historical evidence that the, that the, well, the evidence that we see in the historical interpretation that Bible gives. That's right. I think there is. I mean, most people we have to realise too that we've been brought up from the you know the cradle right through our education system, our secular media, our uh, popular culture. Our you know, all this thing points to millions of years, points to mm. evolution being true, and uh, you know the Bible is integrated. So many people just don't haven't heard the other side, and so mm. but there are some great uh, quotes from scientists who actually say, well, you know, the evidence, even if it points to a design, I don't want to go there because, you know, I don't want there to be a God. You know, um, mm. And so sometimes they're quite, they're quite honest. They say, well, you know, we, this excluded because, you know, we can't bring in a, super, a divine foot in the door. And so mm. they come from this point of view that there is nothing but materialism. There's no spiritual, no supernatural. There's nothing apart from blind chemistry and physics. So they have this uh, boundary around their thinking because they cannot either spiritually or just intellectually, go down the track of anything apart from naturalism. Mm. Which is, I find that particularly interesting because it's, okay, only only naturalism can be true, but neither, like naturalism, I, you could say, is as provable as, and, and when we talk about, we're talking about historical interpretation, historical science, like you could say it's as provable as the, the divine theory it's just it, it, not, not, neither of them have you know we weren't there that's simply the case and so i i guess my conclusion from that and thinking about it, i'm like oh is it really just the case like they don't want to let the divine foot in the door not necessarily to keep some integrity to science but just because they they don't want to change that's right, and I think also when we, again when we come back to real science, things we can observe, like for example, in genetics and so on. Yeah. You know, evolution would have mm. us going from you know, ponds come to people with a, a increasing complexity, specified complexity in our genomes over billions of years. Yet when we observe genetics, we see despite natural selection weeding out the worst damage, that every generation is becoming more and more. Um, degraded, you know, so yeah. genetics is declining, which stacks up with what the Bible says that God created, you know, perfection originally, and after the fall, everything is declining and winding down and decaying, and we see that in in biology and, and biochemistry mm. and, and genetics, you see, so the, the changes that happen in biology don't, are going in the wrong direction for macro, as some people call it, like to talk about that, mm. you know, the general theory of evolution, that everything is evolving from a common ancestor, we don't observe that in real science. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and Michael, I'm just thinking, my mind is, as I've been listening to you has also gone to a book that I've had for some time at my home. It's called In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. Uh, fascinating, because yep. I'm just, I've just looked at what you've actually told us about the Noah, uh, sorry, that the flood chaser and how uh, through his interview, you can just see there's an outline that indicates that he's got seven, seven or eight different evidences for the, the, the worldwide flood. 
what is it, you know, that like you're saying that, you know, some people don't want to choose to, you know, follow, um, see the evidence that there is a God. And yet here we find, even in this book, and I guess in other ways and, and worldwide, constantly people, scientists who are trying to prove that evolution is, is, is the way and not creation. And yet, you know, they, they come to believe in creation because of their findings. There's so many testimonies, isn't there, of people who have actually gone down the track of trying to prove the Bible wrong, yeah. trying to prove the gospel, gospel's wrong or the account of Jesus or creation or whatever. And as you say, if they go in with that idea, I want to follow the evidence and they have an you know, open heart, often then God will break through. And, but those who are just closed off and do not want to see it no matter what, um, then they never will. We, there was a great quote um, a while back. I can't remember who it was. They said about... Um, before I became a Christian, you know, I said, I won't believe in the flood unless I see the evidence. It wasn't until I had my eyes opened and I see evidence everywhere, you know, so rather I won't believe until I see. Mm. In actual fact, I won't see until I believe. And it flips over and suddenly mm. the evidence is everywhere when your worldview changes. Mm. Love that quote. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we've got a minute left, Michael. Is there anything that you want to leave us with before we head off? No, just uh, again... Every blessing to you all, your listeners and, and your team there um, for 2023 as it finishes off, but 2024 is a year of opportunity. Um, mm. Just be, be equipped, be engaged, um, you know, obviously get into the word, um, you know, press into to God, you know, your relationship with Jesus is everything. But yeah, go to creation.com, have a look at our resources, search, uh, look at our YouTube channels and be equipped. And if you have a question that you don't know the answer to, just have a, have a look, have a search. And um, we're sure that there are many great uh, resources that we have that will help to build up your faith and to help you reach out to other people. So be blessed. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, have a great Christmas and New Year. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. They're taking the mickey out of me. I put my headphones on and I was talking to them and they, they, they're making it look like I'm really shouting, which I you probably are. was. <laughs> and it's funny and every time. Back. It's funny every time because you've been here for months and oh, it's awesome. We love having you here. That's but it's like me. you go from like, hey, guys, so when we come into the next section, just make it like it's funny every time. Like it's so good. We have a lot of fun here on Faith FM. We're hoping you're having fun with us today too and every day when you listen to The Breakfast Show with us. Hey, how good was that interview with Michael Cook? Like, you know, creation, evolution, and how history fits best, you know. I love what he says here. I mean, he he did say, you know, that there's no scientific evidence for both of them. But here's the thing. I love the quote that he said, you know, till, uh, you know, that the person was saying, like, he couldn't remember who the quote was by, but he said, I won't believe till I see. But mm. then they say, it wasn't till I opened my eyes that mm. I did see the evidence. You know, yeah, it was about it opening my eyes, you know, um, and, yeah. you know, I, I think of, you know, a friend from years back who didn't believe in God, but, you know, God just got this seagull to circle around him. And he was, you know, he loved bird watching, and that for him was evidence of God, and that was a turning mm. point. Um, and God uses different kinds of ways to open the eyes yeah. of people. Like, you know, I think of somebody that would like plants and things like that. That <laughs> thing that we covered this morning for them yeah. would be just like really eye-opening and amazing. Well, this is actually relating directly to what we've just looked at in our Bible study, actually. Yes. And, and how the centurion Faith. relates to that, actually. He, he relates to something that he understands. He says, I'm a man of... I, like, I understand what's going on here. I see what's happening here because 
I'm a man of influence as well. Yes. I'm a, I'm a person of influence, but Jesus, I can see that you are a person of real authority. You have authority over all. So it's powerful stuff there. Really, really amazing. Um, you know what I also find particularly interesting? Just like you mentioned there about scientific evidence. The, and, and the point that he made is that the, the evidence is for everyone. Uh, the point that he made is that, like, evident, like, there is all this evidence, but that that evidence doesn't necessarily come with name tags. So yeah, it, it's it's powerful to see that, despite the evidence not coming with name tags and whatnot, we can through making interpretations, we can come to to certain conclusions, and based on probable cause, we can say, okay, what's more likely to happen? And this is this is the big thing. This is like the big important point that I'm trying to make. What's more likely to happen? That something comes from something or that something comes from from nothing. Mm. And what we see, you know, laws of thermodynamics and whatnot, every every cause has a, every effect has a cause and whatnot. It's like, it is far more likely that in in a probable cause sense that something comes from something. Now you Mm. can say that we're biased in a sense that we would say that something is God. But what we can see when we look at the evidence more and more and more is, okay, well, the biblical narrative in the history that that mm. gives fits up with the history that we can interpret from the observations that we can make about this earth, which is, which is, I feel like it's an assuring place definitely to be in. I, one time I, I heard an illustration about probable cause and it's, it was like a part of a, a court, court case, a court hearing. And it's like, okay, so you walk out of your house one day and you see that everything is wet and you smell rain. And well, it's, it's like, you, you're outside, you look up in the sky, you see clouds, you smell rain, you see, you know, the clouds forming, you go inside, you go to sleep, you wake up, you come outside and everything's wet. What's a more likely explanation that t- little Timmy ran around the neighborhood with a hose, like wetting people and pulled out a super soaker and like shot all the houses and made all the houses all wet or that it rained? And it's like, you look at the evidence, it smelled like rain, it looked, the clouds, it looked like rain, it looked like it was going to rain. You went to sleep, you woke up, you didn't see the rain, but you can say, okay, based on the evidence, it, the probable thing that happened is that it rained. And the amazing thing is that we look at the evidence, we look at this world that we live in, we look at the intricacy of creation, design, all those things, and we see that it's likely, that it's probable that God created. And if it's probable, I think furthermore, it's, it's, like it's definitely possible and you know given the rest of the evidence that the bible gives in and of itself it, it did happen mm, absolutely and that's why i love what michael said he said you know his closing words were be equipped be engaged press into god and his word mm. and he said if you want you know if you've got questions go into creation.com and look at the resources that will actually equip you um, in those spaces as well because people do challenge us each one don't they yeah absolutely hey before we go on i just want to quickly give the quiz question who described himself as a man of unclean lips guys this is the final question for the week before we draw our prize at eight forty-five a.m you guys have about 15 minutes to get in for the quiz but again that question was who described himself as a man of 
unclean lips. If you know the answer, 0491-064-669. Okay, and we're continuing with our Bible study. We actually looked at the centurion um, who actually came to Jesus and asked for him to actually heal his servant. He said in Mm. verse Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8, he says, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus then said, and and he says, you know, in verse 9, I'm under authority and when I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come and he comes to my servant do this and he does it and then Jesus said to him assuredly I said you have not found one of such great faith not even in Israel so Jesus himself said that he had the centurion had great faith and Mm. that's why in verse 13 he says go your way and as you have believed so let it be done Mm. his faith you know faith is a gift from God too isn't it that's the thing it is a gift from God and we are to practice that too because the more time you know I I know in my life when I found that I've surrendered to Jesus and God is gone like and say God I don't know quite with this situation but I have faith and trust in Mm. you God comes through that's the thing we lean into it's about leaning into God Mm. coming coming to him hey the next story is that we're actually looking at is Matthew chapter 9, chapter 9, and actually verse 2. And actually this one is recorded also in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. So we're actually going to go there as well. I'll, I'll go to Mark Mark chapter 2. Actually, mm. if you can go to Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12 for us, please. Sure. And I know we did look at this um, the other week, but some of our listeners may not have been on there too, but it's actually a story again that we love unpacking and that is really important. So I'll read Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. If you don't mind going to Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, it's also covered in Luke chapter 5, but we're actually going to look particularly at uh, Matthew and Luke. And it says here in, in Matthew 9, it says, so he, as Jesus got into a boat, crossed over and came to his mm. own city. His own city, you know, in other words, Capernaum. That's where Jesus mostly lived during his adult life. And then it says in verse 2, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Now Mark actually expands on this story so much more. So can we go and read that one, please? Yeah, I'm here in Mark where it picks up pretty much the same way. He entered Capernaum after some days and he heard uh, that he was in a house immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them not even near the door and he preached the word to them then they came to him bringing the paralytic who was carried by four men and when they could not come near him because of the crowd they uncovered the roof where he was so when they had broken through they let down on the bed uh, a paralytic that was lying there. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. 
He said to the paralytic, I say to you, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed and went out of the presence of them all. And all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Mm. And of course, back in Jesus's time, the thing is that anyone that was paralyzed, that it was believed that, you know, by the general, general people is that the, it was a curse on the person or, you know, that the parents had actually done something mm. and that's why the person was actually suffering. And so for them, this is, was a really crucial and important story that we're actually looking at right now. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Connect with us on 0491-064-669. And so what we see here is it was the faith of his friends. Because when he says his, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to, he said to the paralytic, mm. son, your sins are forgiven. Now here's the thing, you know, this story really unpacks for us that the healing of the soul is really important, hey. That yes, there's a physical healing that happened and needed to happen. But here what we find here is that yes, I mean, the, you know, you can say your sins are forgiven, but it's not seen. But the physical healing that actually happened of the, of the paralytic, Paralytic was a sign, a powerful sign of yeah. the fact that his sins were forgiven. Mm. Isn't that just so powerful right there? But it was the faith, it took the faith of his friends to That's do right. that. It's incredibly powerful. And I love how Jesus explains it to the Pharisees as well. He says, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you. They've accused him of blasphemy because he says your sins are forgiven you, even though he has the right to say that because he's really the only one who can say that. I can't tell people their for- sins are forgiven by me. You can't forgive people's sins. Neither can Shell, neither can any of the listeners. We can forgive people for things, but we can't forgive their sins to enable them to have a life. Only Jesus can do that because only Jesus is God. You know, I've heard some people argue this point, maybe from an anti-Trinitarian perspective. They're like, oh, well, he was given authority by God to forgive people's sins. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that's, that's a kind of a a similar, uh, similar argument that you could say anyone then has the ability to forgive sins. In fact, that's the, the reason the Catholic church says that priests have the ability to forgive sins. But what we see here clearly in the Bible is Jesus says, I'm going to prove to you that I'm the son of God because I can do something. I can, I can manifest a literal sign in front of me, which is that I, I can heal this person from their sickness that proves that, oh man, I really am on God's side. And furthermore, I do have the ability to say your sins are forgiven you. But at the same time, as you said, Jesus saw their faith. Yes. He says, sons, your sins are forgiven. Why their faith? was, I guess, impressive to Jesus and it led to his sins being forgiven is that he could see through their faith that they had a desire and they had a want to, well, this paralytic had a want and a desire to be forgiven. It was it was that he had made an intentional decision in and of itself to try and find a way, you know, and convince his friends to find a way to get him there for the forgiveness of his sins. And yes. It's like, man, it, again, it's... If you're willing to do this, like, yeah, you, you, your sins are forgiven. A lot of people, uh, you, have you ever had conversations with people where they're like, oh, so you're telling me that Hitler could just live a really evil life and then say just before he died, you know what, uh, Jesus forgive me and let me in and Jesus would really let him in. And there's some, some questions regarding that because it seems a bit illogical, right? Like, and, and it's something I thought about, like, how exactly does that work? But 
it's not that then we have to go out and, and prove that, oh, man, look, guys, I really am faithful. But the reality is, is that God knows the heart. God knows our Absolutely sincerity. Does. God knows why it is that we live. And, and through outward signs, through our faith, people yeah. can see that too. Absolutely. And, and you know, with these friends, they uncovered the roof. You know, and, and when, I think I may have mentioned this before, that when, when my husband and I were in Israel back in 2015, this, this story really became a reality for me mm. amongst many others. But the, I remember the tour guide saying to us, you know, because they had the flat thatched roofs there, mm. not, not like why you have here the tiled and whatever, but that those roofs would actually take several months to place together. But it would take a short time to actually make a hole to, to actually lower this man down. And so they did. They they just at all all costs they wanted him to to be there in the midst of Jesus because the place was full. And so they lowered him down. But it would take months. I think it was up to, up to about eight or nine months to mm. actually then make that roof once again. And so they didn't care what the cost, the time was required. They wanted him healed. Hey, let's look at another story in Matthew chapter twenty, verse twenty nine to thirty four. Here we actually see two blind men receiving sight as well. Um, and this is around the Jericho area. Can you read that for us, please? Yeah, Matthew 20. We're picking it up in verse 20 where the Bible says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to came to him. We're in 20 verse 20? Uh, Matthew 20 verse 29. 29. Ah, okay, here we go. Now, as they went out to Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold... Two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Then they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. Mm. So here we see another story, again, in another unexpected place. Well, in all the places that Jesus was going, there was always somebody mm. that we can see their stories, and, and there's probably even more, but these are some of the key stories that have been recorded for us to know that, you know, Jesus was in different places, in places that people were in dark, dark places of their lives, as in, you know, mm. just really, um, really suffering, but also in, in, in dark places, of this, you know, city areas in different places where they went. And so we are called to also go to, to the people, to different places and to have compassion like Jesus had here. And I love here. He said, um, they said to Jesus, Lord, that our eyes may be open. I'm just thinking mm. even with what Michael said, you know, about somebody saying like, it wasn't until my eyes were open that I saw the evidence. In here, that in this case, they actually had faith that Jesus would actually open their eyes, give them sight. And Jesus had Compassion. There's that mm. beautiful word once again. It's that sympathy for their suffering situation, for their difficult situation. And he touched their eyes. You know, I heard a sermon several years ago about um, one speaker, and, and I loved what she said. She said, we all have an ouch in our lives, mm. okay? Or we might be in a situation that is a real ouch situation, as in really painful. But you add the T, which is changes it to a touch, mm. a touch from Jesus mm. takes the ouch away. Mm. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. And I just think that's what happens here. Two blind men 
actually receive their sight. And the reason is here, they actually say earlier to have mercy on us. And mm. here's the beautiful thing. Jesus does have mercy on each of each one of us today, mm. doesn't he? Jesus, because of Jesus, because of the cross, because Jesus died on the cross for you and I, for each one of us here today, he wants us to ha- to come to him, to have salvation, to have eternal life. He has compassion on us. Yeah. He wants to touch our lives. Take the ouch away. Touch us so that it, we can be touched and have a transformed life. Yeah, absolutely. And the beautiful thing is that when we are touched by Jesus you know, and brought to a place of faith and following him, we also then gain the ability to reach others oh, in the same yes. way. And, and what's so amazing in this story, it says, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and they immediately, they Follow. received their sight and they followed, followed him. him. They didn't just go, oh, yay, I'm already healed. Yeah. I'm good. You know, this doesn't matter. But they followed him. They said, like, again, this gratefulness that they had towards Jesus. They're like, I, we are now going to use our influence. We're going to use our our lives to reach others as well. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And we have the ability to be in that position too, to bring people to Jesus. So I think, you know, Jesus is searching for everyone. Jesus is knocking on the, the hearts, the, the, the doors of everyone hearts and i can say oh maybe it's not bringing people to jesus but rather convincing them to open the door Mm. saying hey like i know the guy outside you should let him in Mm. uh and and we can see those people be able to take amazing steps in their life to follow him you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different it has come time for us to spin the wheel to find out who actually wins our prize of the Revive Cookbook today. And then we are going to give you the answers to the quiz questions. So take it away. Here we go. We're spinning the We're wheel. Spinning. It's spinning. Spinning, and slowing all, down. All. Here it goes. Okay. Yes. And we have a, and we have a winner. winner. Congratulations to our winner for this week. We have Janelle receiving the Revive Cafe Cookbook. So congrats and fantastic work, everyone, for playing the quiz, doing such a great job, answering lots of questions correctly. Hey, you are listening to The Breakfast Show this morning, and let's go through some of those answers. So firstly here, it was some words were missing, and so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written of the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Next one here, true or false? Well, the answer there was Bethlehem. <laughs> yeah, true. and of course, referring to Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely, man. We're really in Advent right now. We're, yeah. we're, we're coming up to Christmas time. <laughs> true or false? In the New Testament, Jesus explained that just as the Israelites were healed of their sickness by looking at the snake on the pole, all the believers today can be saved from their sickness of sin by looking to Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross. That was true. That's from John chapter 3. But leading up to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he explains that, hey, you know, I, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be hanging 
on the cross. Absolutely. And that story of Moses, you know, back in, in the time of Moses and the Israelites, you know, the snake represented and pointed to the fact that there would be Jesus who would actually conquer, you know, um, well, you know, be the victorious one in the, in, in the war of good and evil between Christ and Satan, as in that Satan is, yeah. Mm. The one who wants all of us to be lost, hence the snake who was the one that was in the Garden of Eden that yeah. tempted humanity. Mm. Next one here. How did Paul escape Damascus when the Jews were trying to kill him? Did he, was he lifted out by an angel? Was there an earthquake that was created, a means of escape? Did Silas rescue him? No, none of those things. He didn't even get picked up by an Apache attack helicopter. He was let down from the city walls in a basket, which is, I love this story so much because Paul travels to Damascus to literally get Christians thrown in jail and killed. He then, on the way there, is converted Mm. He spends some time there, scales fall off his eyes. Then he starts preaching. His first attempt at preaching, he's like, I'm going to preach the truth, literally puts his life on the line and he ha- they have to, yeah, they have to they get have him to out of there in, in a basket. You know? So it's, it's, it's tough stuff that Paul went through just to follow the Lord. But it's amazing, well, the result of his work, like this is his first running with evangelism. His evangelism and missionary work would lead him to basically be the person who crossed the gap and brought the gospel to Europe. Absolutely, you know, and reached the Gentiles and, of course, became you know, the greatest church planter in, in the New Testament that we read of. Absolutely. Next one here. What did the dove bring back to Noah? The dove brought back an olive branch. I remember like being five or six in kindergarten watching this cartoon video of the flood and seeing the the dove come back and give him an olive branch. I I just remember like it's, it's like a core memory, like sitting in class and just watching that and going, oh, wow, so interesting. Having not grown up Christian as well, getting introduced to those stories at school, I'm like, oh, that's super interesting. Then finally here, who described himself as a man of unclean lips? That is none other than Isaiah, which this is a really... Actually, beautiful story of, and we've talked about it a bunch here on Faith FM, I'm sure, of Isaiah just very much coming to a conclusion that, hey, God is the only one that is perfect. God is the only one that is clean. Let us all come to him and fall before him. Absolutely. Powerful stuff. Hey, just we also have a a text here from Freco that came through earlier. He says, money will never replace 20 years of her life. That was referring Mm. to the story that you shared, Lawson, earlier in our news segment um, just after 7 o'clock this morning, uh, looking at Kathleen Folbrig, who um, here in Australia was, um, yeah, incorrectly uh, convicted, you know, and was in jail for 20 years and, of course, has now been found as being innocent follow that story there's a lot in the news that has been actually happening and agree with you freco money can never replace the 20 years of her life it'll be really interesting to see how and what she shares because at this point she hasn't really shared much her friend that's actually been sharing a little bit more Mm. and i think there was an interview also recently on was it 60 minutes or somewhere i didn't manage to see it but um just a fascinating um thing to actually follow with that of actually of what has actually happened to her Mm. in this space as well you're listening to The Breakfast Show with Danuta and Lawson. And we've come so quickly to the end of our show, all too quickly, but we've got an excited winner, Janelle, getting her eight, uh, cookbook number eight, so she's excited. But take it away, Lawson. We are actually giving away a free freebie at the end of every show. Get ready to text in the word book on 0491 What is our free giveaway for today, please, Lawson? Danuta, is yes. Jesus enough? 
Oh, Jesus is everything. Jesus, well, <laughs> that is the book that this que- that this question is asked ah. in. Is Jesus Enough by Dan Jackson, living in the light of his love. This book is getting into just amazing things that Jesus has done, how the cross of Christ and his sacrifice for us truly is everything we could possibly want. It's everything we could possibly hope for. Again, the question is, is Jesus enough? And if you have that question, well, this book answers it. 0491-064-669. All you need to do is be the first person to text in the word book. 0491-064-669. That is the number to get in contact with us. Absolutely. And we want to wash you, wish you here a very special happy weekend before mm. next weekend, which becomes, of course, the special Christmas weekend for so many who are celebrating Mm. that. But we want to leave you with a Bible verse. As always, that God is working in your life for your good. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Isn't that a beautiful like promise? Uh, Mm. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. So just give your heart to Jesus if you haven't today. And remember to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you'll Grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you, with his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Until we meet again at Jesus' feet. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.